Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Daily Objective. Today is election day, the first major election day since 2020. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, please leave a like on this video if you're watching on YouTube. And let's get started. Super chat your questions, your thoughts, your opinions. Who are you voting for or who are you rooting for? Um, this is an American election. And in my mind, the whole world must have an opinion and care about this because you know, uh, some Copernicus figured out that the Earth is not the center of the universe. He was on to something. Actually, America is the center of the universe. <laughs> well, in an economic sense and in a leadership sense, uh, America certainly is. I uh, happen to agree with the general proposition that the fate of America is largely what the fate of the world depends upon. Yeah, yeah. And part of it is just truly the American sort of uh, incoherence that I was sort of... Uh, I guess, um, stereotyping in a, in a way. But yeah, if you're wondering who this is, this is James Valiant. Uh, you know him from the show, from the channel. Good to good to have you back on the show. Oh, so be back. So there's a lot to kind of, um, I guess, analyze and to figure out. Um, you know, Ayn Rand, in, at her first ever Ford Hall Forum lecture, was it the, sometime in the 1960s, she said she assumed her audience was mostly liberals, and she said something like, while I disagree with you on so many things, I envy or I'm jealous of the respect you have for the intellect. Something like that, your, your intellectual commitment. Do, do you want to help my, me paraphrase this? Her exact quote was, at one time, I was jealous. Of no, 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 wait, wait, wait. No, yeah. I, I, I thought in the first Ford Hall no, form, she no, said, me, I, I'm currently jealous. But then at, the, at like her final Ford Hall or one of her final Ford no, Hall no, no, forums, no, no, she no. said, she said, look where we are now. Go ahead. You're, 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 the, the quote was that she absolutely believed that she would find a more friendly audience among the left. She mm -hmm. really did. Isn't that interesting that in her first Ford Hall forum, she definitely said, I know this audience is uh, mostly leaning left. And guess what? I happen to think that's where the best hope is. But right. she was already expressing uh, let's put it this way, uh, that she was no longer as envious as she used to be in the 20s and 30s and before that, when there was some intellectual seriousness and luster. She thought mm -hmm. that the left was already diving into things like Zen Buddhism and existentialism and the new left and losing touch with reality to such an extent that uh, they weren't serious intellectuals anymore and that America was facing what she called intellectual bankruptcy on both sides. Yeah. Uh, she definitely said that if any group is going to ruin America in another context, it will be the conservatives. She had a lot of wonderful things to say against conservatives. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, she, one of my favorites is uh, if it's a bad idea, it's it's probably from the Democrats. If it's a god awful idea, it's almost certainly from the Republicans. <laughs> and yeah. of course, when the Republicans, Democrats agree, that is really the red flag. You, you know, something disastrous is being planned. <laughs> So then by uh, the late 70s or sometime towards the end of Rand's life at one of her Ford Hall forums, she did kind of a retrospective and she said, you know, at this point, I'm thinking like the right or Republicans or conservatives might be the best bet. Like she had changed her tune, but the reason being that the, the left had gone full hippie. So the left had just completely discarded any respect for the intellectual process. Is that right? Well, she very much uh, believed that... Uh, after the New Deal and the Democrats basically took control of America following the Depression in terms of policy. The first Republican president after that, Eisenhower, she thought was a complete loser. 
If that was the Republican response, there isn't much of a Republican response. They're just me tooing pragmatist compromisers. She couldn't vote for Eisenhower or Adlai Stevenson and did not vote for president either time uh, for Eisenhower or for Stevenson in the 50s. She had a moment of hope during the Goldwater campaign in 1964. She got disappointed as the campaign wore on, as Goldwater, Senator Goldwater became less principled in his position. But he was, you know, Mr. Extremism is no vice, uh, uh, you know, extremism in the pursuit of liberty is no vice uh, guy. So she thought that there was hope there and she actually had some influence on the Goldwater campaign, believe it or not, but not sufficiently. But that was maybe her, you know, she was disappointed in Goldwater, but that was a moment where she was actually supporting, at least for a time, the Republican candidate. In the 1960s, in Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal, you can read this, she had positive comments to say about Ronald Reagan in the 1960s. As governor. Now, in the wake of the new left of the late 60s and early 70s, Ayn Rand did take uh, heart in the fact that there was a sharp turn to the right. Uh, Nixon won a landslide in the early 70s. And despite Watergate and Vietnam and all of that, that did not stop Reagan from winning a landslide. Now, she very much opposed Reagan. She denounced Reagan. She, he, Reagan was the guy who, if Eisenhower was a me-tooing compromiser, Nixon in her mind was even worse. I mean, if Eisenhower gave us the national highways, Nixon gave us the EPA. And so in her mind, he was a terrible me-tooing pragmatist, but still worse in her mind. She was an uh, anti-Nixonite for Nixon, as she described. <laughs> but by Ronald Reagan, when Ronald Reagan had made his alliance with the religious uh, fanatics, the moral majority, and the cultural uh, right, Ayn Rand denounced, turned on Ronald Reagan, denounced him outright in a much harder way than she even had uh, criticized uh, Nixon and Eisenhower um, by that point. Uh, but still, by the she was still gratified, and she said this in the late 70s in television interviews, that Americans were rejecting the new left and wanted more of the right. She felt that, in general, was a good sign. Uh, but she felt, in the long run, the alliance between religion and the Republican Party was a disaster and something that made the Republicans radioactive to her, mm -hmm. if you will. Yeah, Rand cared a lot about the philosophical influences of a political party or a political movement. So for that reason, she really, really rejected the Libertarian Party and the Libertarian movement because she saw them as hippies of the right. They were like 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 hippies with their incoherence and general emotionalism and lack of uh, a philosophical leg to stand on, just that they happen to be like more affiliated with capitalism and like individual liberty in a certain in, in a number in of ways. In my darker youth, Rucka, I was I knew a lot of libertarians and a pe people who were associated with the Libertarian Party back in the late 70s and early 1980s. I met Ron Paul when he was a con just a congressman from Texas in D.C. I knew Murray Rothbard. Now, let me just give you an indicate, Mr. Libertarian. Uh, let me just tell you, Ayn Rand was exactly right. These people are willing to embrace anarchism. These people are willing to embrace Christianity. Their tent is so big that they have no qualms about what, whatever philosophy. Your philosophy doesn't matter to them. Philosophy is utterly irrelevant. And someone like Murray Rothbard could go so far as to be a literal anarchist. And not only, you know, Ayn Rand opposed the Vietnam War, but not only did Murray Rothbard oppose the Vietnam War, he defended the Viet Cong. He defended the communist dictators of North Vietnam. Now, when you're that, you know, open-minded that any 
mush comes in, you're obviously the worst kind of defender of freedom. And if libertarianism, as it existed, especially in Ayn Rand's lifetime, had gained any traction, it would have been the worst thing for liberty. Uh, and I believe she was exactly right. Mm -hmm. Now, I um, I meet and, and make friends with a lot of uh, sort of libertarian anarchist types uh, here in Austin, here in this generation. And I mean, I, I avoid, uh, you know, uh, politics and stuff and debate, you know, in, in social contexts. So I wouldn't probably bring this up to anyone unless they were asking my opinion. But nothing they're doing has anything to do with anarchy or with like libertarianism in any sort of uh, sense that people would assume. They're basically Trump supporters. That's like who they're rooting for. They're rooting for the new right. They're rooting for they're basically they've made the left the bane of their existence. And the way I sort of interpret this whole thing is like libertarians sort of took over the right and people would say that's they would think that's paradoxical because the right has moved away from capitalism they moved away from so many values that you would assume associate with libertarianism but that's just it like because libertarianism was never really focused and never really very philosophical that's why the the, the former libertarians or the people who were like part of that whole scene they ended up becoming kind of the new right. And it's it's a very strange situation we're in now. That was a major part of it. Exactly. Many libertarians joined the religious right. I mean, I'm thinking of Lou Rockwell and those uh, friends of Murray Rothbard at the end. They were happy to embrace uh, Pat Buchanan, for example, back in the 1990s. And it was just r remarkable the extent to which they were willing to endorse things on the extreme left and on the extreme right that were you know, and the, the worst thing of it, it is I'm much more comfortable, at least uh, temporarily, joining forces with either the Democrat or the Republican Party than the Libertarian Party, because, you know, they stand for such they're so mushy in what they stand for. They really don't have a clear ideology. Either party really doesn't have a very consistent, clear, principled ideology. They're pragmatists at, at heart seeking power. The libertarians make it worse because they say we're, and this is one of their slogans, we're the, quote, party of principle. Well, wait a minute. If I'm going to vote for, quote, the party of principle, then I'm going to be particular about the principles and uh, the philosophy. And since you're directing me there, and since you are a third party and I'm casting my vote really just to send a message, then I want to make sure that message is correct. No, I'm I'm much more comfortable voting for a Democrat or a Republican because they tend to stand for less principle. <laughs> it's an odd paradox, I know. Uh, if only we had someone in either party who stood for principles that were for individual rights and for real freedom, uh, I would uh, be happy to support them. Uh, <laughs> that's how I look at the parties basically today. Now, Wyatt in the chat, normally someone who's not super chatting and not a member to me is uh, beneath contempt. I'm kidding. But uh, but asked a, an interesting question because I said libertarians took over the right, so to speak. And he says, do you mean the right took over libertarians or libertarianism? Uh, but, but, but here's here's why I say libertarians took over. When you look at the changes that have taken place on the right, the the neglect of any principles, the neglect of the Constitution, the neglect of capitalism. It, I, I know it seems paradoxical that libertarians would be leading the charge to throw capitalism under the bus. But I mean, put just look at the neglect of principles, the incoherence, the emotionalism, the riling up of the people. Remember when Ron Paul was uh, running for president both times and had um, 
you know, he was on the Republican primary debate stage. His audience, yeah. they were like the original Trump audience, you know, like that was yeah. like the the uh, the old school Trump supporter types. They're just like interrupt, interrupting, disrupting, shouting. These people do not respect uh, due process. They don't respect intellectual discourse they, the way they see it. Oh, we're being they're drowning us out. So let's drown them out and let's let's disrupt them. They're all corrupt. They're all conspiring. And it's uh, it's not a winning strategy. So that's um, that's what we're dealing with today. Um, so <laughs> so today we've got a Republican Party that the way I see it was sort of taken over by, quote, hippies of the right. Uh, we've got the Democrats who have so many skeletons in their closet that, um, you know, I don't I don't think the Democrats have ever even acknowledged their support of slavery or like Jim Crow. <laughs> they still pretend no. it was all the other guy's idea. Um, I mean, God knows that the Democrats are horrible, but I mean, but, you know, as Rand pointed out, if there's a bad idea, let's say increase, increase regulation, increased, um, you know, uh, uh, subsidies or um, uh, entitlements, stuff like that, you know, it's probably a Democrat idea, but a God awful idea, the EPA breaking up big business, antitrust and all of that type of thing. Oh, yeah. um, subsidies at a level that's supposed to engineer the whole economy and, you know, protectionism that keeps out imports, all of these things that are just um, really going observe, to impact. I would observe here that um, Trump was outspending Obama before COVID. I want to repeat that and say it slowly so that all my Republican friends get this point. Trump is no friend of capitalism. Uh, he was outspending Obama before COVID. He was jawboning the Fed to keep zero interest rates or negative interest rates. This man was not an advocate of the free market, neither the free market in money, nor the free market in healthcare, nor international free trade. As you point out, he was advocating tariffs against our allies, not even nominally in favor of any kind of free trade. No, the Republicans have utterly thrown in the towel on the free market. But then again, the Democrats seem to have utterly thrown in the towel on civil liberties like free speech. So, But it's bizarre, too, to note that when it comes to social media, it's the Republicans who've taken the lead in claiming this corporate censorship, which used to be a concept on the left. The Republicans have now adopted this horrible fascist notion of censorship that somehow private organizations like Twitter or Facebook can engage in censorship which of course oh, they yeah. cannot, they're private platforms. So Republicans have now taken the mantle of corporate censorship from, from the Democrats and are advocating antitrust prosecutions of, uh, of social media companies. So both parties have lost any sense of principle. In my yeah, uh, vilification of corporations and basically seeing corporations as the biggest threat to liberty is right. used to be a feature of leftists. And, you know, right. and a lot of and a lot of today's Republicans, they they were leftists 10 years ago. They, right. you know, they they brought a lot of their ideas with them. So, you know, they, they, uh, they do <laughs> yes. in one of the uh, in one of the early debates featuring Ron Paul. And, you know, and and he's usually good when he's you know, like like many people on the right. He's good at attacking people he disagrees with in many cases. Um, I remember Ron Paul saying, you know, today's Republicans, they're just former Democrats, basically. Like, that's why I'm standing against them. And so, yeah, he wasn't he's was doing it quite in a misguided way. But that that was a that was a good moment. Right. That was a, a slam dunk it, moment. It hit the nail on the head. You know, mm -hmm. the original uh, contributing editors to the National Review when William Buckley started it in the 1950s, apart from Henry Hazlitt, they were all former communists and socialists. Uh, in the 1970s and 80s, all these neocons joined the Republican Party. They were all former Trotskyists. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what happens. You know, people like uh, Horowitz gets uh, radicals from the 60s. They get burned or uh, 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 Tammy Bruce. Another recent example. These are people who were leftists who were burned by their experience on the left and are now moving to the right. And very frequently they don't bring with them a principled understanding of individual rights in the Madison Jefferson sense of individual rights. Yeah, David Horowitz is a big Trump guy, and I don't know much no. about Tammy Bruce, but I'm guessing from what I picked up, and and I'm guessing she's uh, she's into Trump. And there's very few never Trumpers left. Uh, one is a girl, a lady named S. E. Cup. Maybe you you you're familiar with her. I used to. Yeah. She's 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 at CNN now, of course, right? People are saying, right. oh, CNN, right? The the left, but yeah, she's she's still um, sticking to what she believes in, and I admire that. I remember uh, S.E. Cup used to like hold a, a copy of Atlas Shrugged. That was like her, uh, you know, promotional uh, headshot. But of course, um, she was not a full objectivist, uh, as oh, so few I, public figures so are. Dis- it's just so disappointing to hear some senator like Ron Johnson from Wisconsin or even Ted Cruz from Texas. They'll put mm-hmm. some speech or some section of Atlas Shrugged into the congressional record saying, hey, I'm for Ayn Rand. Or even Donald Trump saying The Fountainhead was his uh, favorite novel. These Republicans, almost to a man or woman, who don't really understand the first thing about Ayn Rand's philosophy, not even her political ideas, much lesser, deeper philosophical ideas. So. Mm-hmm. so I guess some of the reasons people would say you need to vote uh, Republican today would be to to punish the Democrats for the woke stuff. And I guess they by which they mean wokeness in schools. And that comes from the federal level, basically. So it's not something you could challenge at a local level, is it or or is it? Oh, to a large extent, schools are still controlled at the local level and you can affect great changes. And there's great variation from school district to school district in the United States on what they how they educate, who they hire, uh, the standards. Those vary a great deal. Unfortunately, though, teachers colleges from where most of our teachers come from are pumping out. Uh, ideological, uh, you know, uh, robots uh, by the thousands every year. So most of the teachers out there are already heavily leaning in the woke, you know, intersectional direction that they've been uh, brainwashed uh, (laughs) at their teachers colleges in. Uh, So there's this battle going on between a lot of parents in local districts. And uh, but of course, that's inherent in public education. Somebody's going to be offended. Uh, If you have prayer, or if you don't have prayer, you teach intelligent design, or if you teach you know, I don't care what you teach about race. I don't care what you teach about sex. It's so long as the government is in control of these schools, uh, you're going to have an inherent problem that way. It's just built yeah. in. Someone like Charlie Kirk, who's sort of like a uh, poster boy for the uh, evolution or de- devolution, devolvement of Republicans in recent years. He started as like a very free market Christian, but free market guy. And over the years became Trump's biggest cheerleader. And in current day, his his answer to the left is let's bring the Bible into into public schools. So that's his answer, not privatize, not ab- abolish the Department of Education at the federal level. Not, just not, just no, 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 no. Like fight the culture war. They want to teach wokeness. Let's bring the Bible in and prayer. And then that's that's uh, supposed to be, you know, a it's good a guy. Funny, we've got 
we've, we don't have rational discourse on politics in America anymore. That's why it's becoming more and more polarized, more, more and more. You have the Democrats screaming that the dem democracy is at risk. This is the, we had Clyburn, perhaps the senior most respected Democrat in Congress saying, this is the end of the world if the, de if the Republicans get in. And he was asked on a Sunday morning show, did you really mean that? Uh, no, I, first he denied saying it, but then he sort of, sort of took it back, but he didn't take back his part about, hey, this is Weimar Germany 1933, and we're on the eve of electing Hitler kind of comments, which he did make. Uh, so there's a lot of overheated rhetoric about democracy uh, facing the, its end. Now, there are good reasons to be concerned. There is violence on the right. There's violence on the left. You know, you get Congressman Steve Scalise getting shot at a congressional baseball game by a Bernie Sanders supporter. You have uh, Senator Rand Paul getting beat up. And now, horrifically, you've got Nancy Pelosi's husband getting attacked with a hammer in his own home. My God, violence on both sides is completely out of control. The polarization, the emotionalism, the anti-intellectualism. Because as Ayn Rand pointed out so brilliantly decades ago, in the absence of a serious intellectual debate, what it reduces to is an emotional debate. Uh, and things like uh, tribalism are what's going to govern people's uh, approach. So it's my side. I don't care about the corruption on my side. I don't care about the violence on my side. Uh, and the other side says, well, uh, ignore the violence on my side, ignore the corruption on my side. If I was concerned about members of Trump's family profiting from uh, uh, Trump being president, uh, of course, uh, those same people on the left are now uh, completely blind to the idea that uh, the Biden family may have been on the take for millions of dollars from foreign interests. And it's just funny how, depending on the side you're on, you'll completely switch your view of integrity in politics or violence in the streets etc. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when people are entirely motivated by something negative, like that is they're fighting the left or the left is fighting the right, then they're willing to uh, turn a blind eye to a lot of uh, horrible things on their in their own. Right. Camp. It's not ideas. It's mm -hmm. you're against Lucifer. You're against right. Adolf Hitler. And that's mm -hmm. it. So long as it's characterized as you're, you know, if you're for X, you are the devil himself. It's religious thinking. And it shouldn't be surprising to us. Pragmatists are, don't have principles, but people still do operate. They are still have a conceptual faculty. And so if you don't have objective principles, if it really is all pragmatism going by the seat of your pants, issue by issue, then what's really your principles? Those emotionalist, dogmatic principles. And so you've got the religion, the traditional religion on the right, but now you've got the religious ideas like environmentalism, which is truly dogmatic religion on the left. And, and so what basically it comes down to is dogmatism and pragmatism governing each side so that there's no discussion, really a philosophical or principled or even an idea-based discussion of uh, the issues. Now, I'm in favor of the Republicans taking at least uh, one uh, House of Congress. Why? Because we have for the next two years, uh, at least, a Democrat president. And I like divided government. Divided government, especially when it's the Democrat in the White House and the Republicans in Congress, tends to have some of the best fiscal outcomes for America. I think of the 1990s after the Republicans took Congress while Clinton was president, we actually had some fiscal restraint. We actually got some welfare reform. Bill Clinton said the era of big government is over. Can you imagine? <laughs> well, 25 years ago, Bill Clinton saying things like that. Uh, but it's true. Uh, um, and so I'm hoping for the same kind of stalemate 
that would probably occur because I don't see Biden adjusting uh, to the middle like Clinton did or even like Obama did when they took spankings in the midterm in their midterms. I see Biden is still sticking with the pretty much being enthralled to the far left of his party. So I envision if the Republicans do take the House, say, which is the bet in uh, in Vegas, the betters are saying the Republicans are going to take the House. It's a question by how much. Um, then I see stalemate for the next two years, and that's just fine with me. They can't change the composition of the Supreme Court. There'll be some less uh, spending and debt on the part of the federal government, which is really the main culprit behind the, this inflation, this terrible inflation that's underway. Um, but you know, the, what's happening is people are being pounded by reality. High gas prices, high food prices, crime in the you know rising uh, in, in in cities. And the Democrats are frankly not responding to those very real issues that people can see and feel uh, with their own eyes that are changing their lives. And I think that's why the Republicans are gonna ha might have an especially good night tonight. Yeah, uh, so I've been thinking um, it might make most sense for people in particular states, like people in blue states, blue cities, to vote Republican at a local level to punish Democrats for all the things that ail them, such as woke education, um, lockdowns. That was a lo very localized uh, policy. Um, BLM violence, like turning a blind eye to that or permitting it. That again, people say, oh, the Democrats are the party of, you know, BLM violence, lockdowns and uh, woke education. Well, those are basically local things you can punish Democrats with. But when it comes to the federal level, Congress and the presidency, I'm thinking uh, the rational thing to do is to vote Democrat. And I know it uh, makes people cringe to even say <laughs> to, to hear him. It's not easy to say, but. Uh, right. Um, well, I, like I say, I think I would rather just have the brakes on Biden. I don't want another extra trillion dollar spending bill. Uh, and I don't want, you know, uh, the continued assault on fossil fuels. Uh, to go as strong and unabated as it's going. So simply to put a, a roadblock in the way of Biden and the, what the Democrats are currently doing, that would be my sole justification. It's not because I think the Republicans deserve a reward, I, quite the opposite, they deserve a, a punishment. That is why I did not and could not ever vote for Trump uh, based on the logic you just laid out there. Uh, I, it would be the, you know, it is policing, uh, the parties that is what we're what we're down to we, we you're absolutely right basically what it is is i want to punish the republicans for x their recent x or punish the democrats for their recent y it's not because uh i don't think an objectivist can really ideologically support either party anymore it's just we're way past even the idea of a goldwater type republican party Right. Well, the, the way they could support one party over the other is by saying that the person I'm voting against is just so bad that. Voting against. You know, <laughs> well, that's um, what that's what we end up doing is voting against yeah. uh, more than vote for. I think some people. Which, I don't think it's much of a moral issue. I think reasonable minds like you mm -hmm. and I can actually differ on this. And mm -hmm. I think it does, too, depend upon the candidate. If your Republican candidate is a particularly obnoxious uh, a religious writer 
who's, you know, a, a firebrand out there against abortion, uh, you know, talking about religion and school prayer every other line, then I, I don't think I could stomach voting for him. I don't care what kind of stalemate I want in Washington. <laughs> On the other hand, if the Democrat is a particularly fascist monster, uh, then, you know, even if you're leaning your way, you might want to think twice about uh, voting for an outright communist, you know, and um, mm -hmm. Ilya Omar or something, you know. Uh, yeah. So do look at your candidates. Uh, and it, sometimes we have to hold our nose and sometimes we can't vote at all. Bear mm -hmm. that in mind. Not voting is an option, ladies and gentlemen. Ayn Rand so, herself repeatedly stressed that not voting is a rational option. So in... Um... In today's context, when you look at the crazies of the left, like Elon Omar and AOC, they're kind of like a pain in the side of the Democrats, right? Like the, the Democrat establishment are not bending over backwards to impress the squad. Whereas on the Republican side, Trump is the kingmaker. Um, you basically need to believe that the last election was stolen to win favor right. with the base. So, I mean, uh, if ever there was a time to uh, send a message to Republicans that they need to rebrand, they need to change course, I think this would be it. Uh, there so are some candidates who are better on the Trump scale of things. Take, for example, the guy running for governor in Georgia, Kim. He alien. Well, he saw how Trump uh, defeated the Republican candidates at the last election for Senate and gave the Democrats that 50 seat, 50 uh, 50 you know, nudge majority. And so he was definitely opposed to Trump and Trump's uh, Trump really lost it when he, uh, after the electoral college had elected Biden, the next president, Trump was still on a mad tear against the legitimacy of the election. And that did help lead to January 6th. And that really hurt the Georgia runoff races, I think, and cost the Republicans. And that was a good spanking in my, that was, the, you know, in, in effect, actually a legitimate spanking that the Republicans deserved in the wake of Trump saying that. Uh, but there are a few, a handful out there. You're right. Trump does tend to be the kingmaker now. And that is really, it's really distressing when I hear Republicans say, oh, well, he's a shoe in for the next uh, Republican nomination. They really ought to think that through. Uh, Trump has not done them um, many favors uh, in many, many, many ways. Um, and uh, until and unless the Republican Party does dump Trump in in theory, as well as in practice, uh, I would uh, be skeptical of Republicans in general. Yes. I mean, and this sort of ties back to the point about how Ayn Rand, uh, she took very seriously the philosophical um trajectory of the culture, but also like uh, what the philosophical premises of each movement. So the libertarians, despite the fact that at a superficial glance, they kind of shared her sort of general politics. She said, oh, no, she said they're like the last party I would vote for libertarians. Oh, yeah. um, and of course, you know, we, we can look at Republicans. We and and Rand pointed out that the way that evangelicals and religious anti-abortionists were brought into the Republican Party would ultimately be the death of capitalism in that party. Uh, so we can see all types of um, in the we can see the importance of philosophy. And with today, I would say it was it was the night of the election in 2020, seeing Donald Trump announce his own victory and say, we're going to sue to get them to stop counting votes because we know they're stealing votes. That was when I just said, like, now I get it. Like, so I became like a never Trumper <laughs> at the night of, of his run with Biden. And so, 
And to me, I just said like, now, like now I get it. I mean, you know, people who think like electoral politics is everything, or even that politics right. is everything, right. you know, Ema Emmanuel Kant supported the American revolution. If I'm right. Correct. I mean, right. so does that mean Kant right. is, is, a, is, is an objectivist or has any, any overlap? It's like, you need to take philosophy seriously. And when Republicans are the party of caprice, when they're the party of following the leader uh, and every jackass mental ejaculation that he emits, I think it, there's a time to to hit the brake. And I know people can point out everything wrong with the Democrats. OK, but you need one. Well, there's there's a lot to get into there. But yeah, well, go ahead. If, unless. Well, what is the point of supporting the Republican Party? If you know, the, the, the strange thing is they get worse and worse and worse. Government is still bigger and bigger at the end of every Republican administration. So what is the point? Am I, if I'm going to get Democrat light on economic policy and then have the worst and have every mistake they made get blamed, capitalism get the blame for, then it's much more damaging to have the Republicans in power because they'll be compromisers, they'll hurt the economy, and capitalism will get the blame. You know, it'll be the Hoover, Herbert Hoover effect. Right. Herbert Hoover was no advocate of capitalism. And yet people think of him, you know, he was advocating a good deal of the New Deal in his own uh, administration. But people associate him with free market capitalism. And uh, that's the disaster when you've got a compromiser right in there. And but he's the Republican. He screws up. Capitalism gets the blame. So if you love capitalism, if you really want a Republican Party to be the at least the defender on that side, then what you have to do is police that side. We've got to spank the Republicans into realizing that they have to be a true opposition party on these economic matters. Or what's the point of even voting for them? I'd mm -hmm. say the same about the left as well. I mean, what is the point of saying that we oppose these conservative religious values? We were in favor of legal abortion. We want gay marriage to, you know, gays at least to have legal equality. What's the point of all that if you're going to toss all that in and attack the American system, the Supreme Court, the Senate, the filibuster, the Electoral College, all the institutions of America, and you're going to blow them up? Uh, it seems to me that it makes it very hard for an objectivist actually to be comfortable with either party anymore, uh, even in an election by election basis. You really have to just hold your nose and consider what on balance would be worse, this monster or this monster. I, I don't mean to sound so pessimistic, but that's generally what it comes down to. And a lot of times these days, whether it was, uh, you know, Trump versus uh, Biden or very many others, I know I just couldn't stomach voting for either Biden or Trump. I couldn't stomach it. I knew both were utter disasters and it was asking me to choose. I do not compare them to Hitler or Stalin. I think that's part of what's wrong with d d debate in America today. That guy's Hitler. No, you're Hitler. No, you're Hitler. When we're, it is, is not, uh, although I agree in general, we are sort of like the Weimar Republic and heading in the direction of a fascist dictatorship. I do not think this is Germany 1933-34. And uh, yet that's the way both sides uh, tend to talk about it. Uh, and that, of course, just destroys any real debate over policies, ideas, and connecting this in any way to deeper ideas, which is what we need desperately, desperately. Yeah, we're, we're not, we're nowhere close to, um, you know, to having Hitler or Stalin uh, <laughs> entering office, but getting from where we are to there depends on the choices we make. And right. see, seeing um, how quickly Republicans can change, how quickly they can go from being the party who 
pays lip service to capitalism, to being the party that says we're the party of Trump and every every half ass thought that passes through Trump's head or doesn't pass through his head before it comes out his mouth. Right. Um, just seeing how quickly people are willing to be so tribal and hive minded to me is a sign that we are moving towards authoritarianism. And for all so for all the problems with uh, the, the Democrat Party, I'm, I'm really thinking um, in this election, especially since it's the first major election since the, you know, 2020, since January 6th, uh, since Donald Trump wouldn't uh, take a hike. Now is the time to send a message to Republicans, because I thought on January 6th, I thought this is horrible. I said, I don't know if if this country's uh, infrastructure, so to speak, will ever be taken seriously again after what take place. But at least now people are going to move on from Trump and this populist. Nope. Uh, guess again, within a few months or certainly within a couple of years, it's it's like that never happened. Uh, all Republicans are downplaying uh, January 6th. They're downplaying the fact that Trump oh, wouldn't worse. leave. There, a bunch oh, of Republicans worse. are running who believe yeah. that the election was stolen. <laughs> we have They're, many Republican candidates who are actually still saying that the election was stolen and corrupt. And they're arguing over the corruption of the election. Now, were there shenanigans in the election? Yeah, but there have been shenanigans in a lot of American elections. Uh, the question is, does did those shenanigans make the difference? Mm -hmm. No. Trump's own attorney general, Barr, indicated that the whatever the shenanigans in the last presidential election, it wouldn't have made a difference to the outcome. And besides, when the Electoral College had voted... We had selected under our constitution a new president and Trump should have stopped. He should have said congratulations to the new president. He did not. And again, you know, uh, the legitimacy of uh, his election was challenged by Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. We're, it was, it is, we've been going as down a path where each side gets worse and worse and worse about saying that their uh, loss was illegitimate. And now they're getting violent about it. Mm -hmm. Bill Maher has a very haunting uh, monologue from his most recent episode where he's just like, he's like, basically, we lost like it's over. Basically, no matter who wins or, or how people vote, you know, uh, a bunch of re uh, Republicans who think the last election was stolen will will get into the Congress. And then the next presidential election, Trump will show up at the inauguration, whether or not he won. And this time he'll have an army of congressmen who believe that he did actually win and it, it just, and then he'll just never leave office. And, uh, and it's not that Trump is per se going to enact the worst ever laws. It's that the, uh, the due process, the uh, peaceful tran transfer of powers is a, a, going to be a thing of the past. So very, uh, destroying the institutions of uh, that made America great. Mm -hmm. I mean, a peaceful transition of power from one president to another, the one commander in chief handing over the reins of power to the other in a peaceful way since George Washington, our first president, has been one of the wonderful things about America. We do not settle political debates by violence in the streets. We settle it by intellectual argument and by elections, by the exercise of free speech and our rights. That's mm -hmm. how we do it. When Trump was still saying it was stolen to, from me and was encouraging people to come out on January 6th. What is he doing but attacking American institutions at least as bad? They, they became violent. And then you look at the left, they want to get rid of the filibuster, the Electoral College, uh, you name it, uh, pack the Supreme Court. The, uh, so what's disturbing is that both sides now have really thrown in any respect for American institutions, the American Constitution. I mean, Trump wouldn't have known a right if it bit him in the rear end, as I've said. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just sad. Uh, yeah. America. 
but yeah. uh, you know, trigger alert uh, for many people. I think epistemologically, the Republicans <laughs> are a more are are in a they're a bigger threat right now. Epis like just with all the problems of the Democrats, the way that Republicans have become the capricious party of whatever we feel and just whatever if you allege. It just you can just rationalistically decide, oh, the election was stolen. Why? Well, the Democrats, they would steal it if they could. Yeah, I feel like they could. Someone said he saw somebody throwing a piece of paper in the trash at the polling station. Just Twitter decided within three seconds that the election was being stolen. And next they thing you know, the election was stolen right then and there. Right? So it, it, the, the battle at the end of the day is philosophical. And the more right. we become an emotionalistic yes, and unintegrated and floating uh, culture, the more the more we're in trouble. Let's read some super chats, shall we? Uh, Jeff with three dollars Canadian. Thank you for that. Bonnie with 99 cents American. Thank you for that. Uh, Jeff, again, with ten dollars Canadian says, just finished the Comperchicos essay again. I tend to vote against those wishing to indoctrinate children through education. Both sides want to do this, so it's hard to find someone to vote for. Amen. Any thoughts? Yeah. Amen. Do you mm -hmm. want the right really to control the school boards and make sure that the Bible gets put in, school prayer gets put in? You know, uh, you may not want your first graders to be taught about, you know, uh, transgenderism on the right from the leftist but on the other hand i sure would not want my kid to be taught you know intelligent design and be forced into saying prayers every morning mm -hmm. well the uh the sort of populist kind of uh you know conservative response to that would say look we're not ha we're not installing a theocracy it's just that a little bit of religion is good for everyone. It holds the community together. It gives a, a child a little bit of direction. It keeps him from losing his mind. And we see what happens in a culture uh, lacking religion. So what's so bad about a little bit of religion uh, in, in public schools? How would you answer that? It's a violation of the First Amendment, which prohibits any establishment of religion in government. It demands secular government. If you do not have a secular justification for your policies, in my view, that makes them unconstitutional right there, a clear violation of the First Amendment, uh, where secular government was the great revolution. And the found, see, that's the problem. Conservatives are the ones who cite the founding fathers, and they don't have a, the first clue. The secular, intellectual, ideological, philosophical revolution that was uh, the, the American founders pulled off, they have no appreciation for. None whatever. None whatever. Um, yeah. And right. they seldom, Republicans seldom cite the founding fathers anymore. So that's kind of like uh, the good and bad news. Um, they, <laughs> right. They right. realized uh, capital, like real, you know, real liberty is at odds with their, a lot of their values. And, you know, because want, it is, mm -hmm. because it is, yeah. because it is. Um, they know that. That's yeah. why they want local control. See, the, the Roe versus Wade decision, I think that really, you know, if the Republicans shot themselves in the foot this year, it was something that came from the Supreme Court that was probably going to happen anyway. But Trump put those justices there who overturned uh, the right to an abortion. And if the Democrats really have something there, a uh, campaign issue, uh, mm -hmm. that's the campaign issue the Republicans handed to them. No doubt about it. So, I, uh you know, private privatizing education or abolishing public education would be uh, probably the one wish I would make if I had a political genie who said you get one thing to change. I would say education, because then you have an industry. You have a I mean, people like Jeff Bezos, uh, as much as, you know, right wingers hate him and, and they they hated people like Elon until he became their sweetheart. But, you know, as much as they hate billionaires and entrepreneurs and successful businessmen. 
Um, these people do uh, raise our standard of living because they care about the product they're selling us. They want it to succeed. They want us coming back for more. So just, just imagine a brilliant uh, businessman uh, asking, how can we educate the most like thoughtful, successful students? We want to raise the next generation of billionaires. From We want, we want to see the next generation of Jeff Bezos is passing through our school. Uh, what if, if, they, if, if that was that kind of effort being put towards education, uh, we would not have be we would not see students being indoctrinated, being brainwashed we, or socialized, you know, a la progressive education. We would be seeing a quite a, a change. And uh, it would not surprise me at all if Ayn Rand found her way into the curriculum in a major way as well. Certainly right. uh, the students, the students would be uh, uh, susceptible to her influence. Well, think about it. Could <laughs> most uh, public educators compete with Elisa Van Dam? Not on the free market, not on the free market. And so, uh, yeah, if you did have it as private industry, uh, standards would change, content would change, parents would be in perfect control of their child's education, which is what should be. And if I had one policy change that I could wave a magic wand, it would be to eliminate government involvement in education. Yeah. Yes, sir. We we can't even compete with Lisa Van Dam on this channel. Her show is. So <laughs> I'm kidding, though. I think she, she took a break from the show because, you know, got to make it fair for the rest of us. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I Bonnie, agree. Bonnie with two dollars says, does gridlock work as policy when left and right are same? Uh, well, well, you yes. raise a good issue there, Bonnie. That doesn't mean that he, just because Biden will st still stay enthralled to the hard left and, and just because, say, the Republicans have a big sweep tonight and take over Congress doesn't mean that they won't agree on certain points. And when they agree on certain points, boy, grab your wallet and run, because that's when, <laughs> that's when real trouble will happen when when both parties agree, in my, generally speaking. Uh, look, Medicare and Social Security were great moments of bipartisan agreement in Congress. And they were some of the most disastrous long-term moments in the history of federal policymaking, weren't they? Yeah, agreement yeah. is dangerous, but at least right. at least we're less likely to have much agreement <laughs> if they're divided in parties. That's literally the sum and substance of my logic right now. I want there to be less done. I want there to, it to be harder for them to pass anything on either side so mm -hmm. that just, they're just stymied and frozen in place to the extent we can. Now, it's true, it's not a guarantee, even if it is divided government, Bonnie. You make a good point. It's sometimes mm -hmm. the worst things happen when Republicans and Democrats agree. Social Security, Medicare, the EPA. Now, a lot of uh, libertarians or and people with anarchist tendencies when they're not busy selling their soul to Donald Trump, they they might agree with you and me and say, yeah, we want gridlock. We want the government not to be able to do anything for as long as possible. But the difference between them and us, I think, is that for them, this is like the final goal. Just, you know, F the government and we have a vision. Time. We have a vision. Yeah, of what's no, possible. No, no, no. Yeah. We can, mm -hmm. What we need to do is positive philosophical education. It is mm -hmm. obviously through educational and propagandistic efforts like what we're doing here at Ayn Rand Center UK. So please, please do support us. This is the way to change the political context, the environment, and it's that right. atmosphere that determines the outcome, not any particular issue of the day, because mm -hmm. every issue of the day will be looked at through the dominant ideas of the day. So if we're mm -hmm. going to win battles on the political front, we first have to win the idea battle. 
And so we're, so we're, that's what we're, we do. <laughs> right. We're envisioning a government that protects individual rights where there's no lobby system because there's nothing to lobby for. There's no subsidies. There's no taxing one industry over another. There's no uh, protectionism, protecting jobs. There's no bringing back jobs. There's no entitlements. So there's no lobby system. So we're envisioning a government where they really just do the very bare minimum, but an important bare minimum, which is protecting the rights of individuals, your, your ability, your right to speak and, and control your own property, enforcing contracts and, you know, military uh, response to, to threats, things like that, or just those things in particular. Um, so that's, that's, that's what we're looking towards. We're not just saying gridlock for the rest of time and just, just keep no. this, this beast contained as long as we can. No, 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 no. Government, when it does do something important, it does something vital, essential, and something we cannot do without. Uh, you know, there cannot be, in my view, freedom without mm -hmm. a monopoly on the legitimate use of force, namely government. Uh, but, uh, and we have that vision for government, but it's also a vision that would eliminate a great, the separation, as you point out, the separation of uh, state and economics, like we have the separation of church and state, would have the effect of eliminating all these favors that government can hand out. So, the, you know, that cronyism that businesses, you know, stand in line for government welfare, or that cronyism that any other interest group, labor groups, environmental groups stand in line for their government dole would be gone. All that incentive, and frankly, most of the incentive for government corruption as well, would be gone, would be gone. You're mm -hmm. absolutely right. Uh, Gail with $10 says, do conservatives consciously believe capitalism is dead? Answer to a question on citizenship test about U.S. economy is, quote, capitalism. Or do they not understand what capitalism is? So I'm guessing that when you become a citizen of America, like one of the questions would be like, what is the system, economic system of America? And the answer is capitalism, something like that, as opposed to communism or or whatever, uh, or right. feudalism. Um, yeah, so, we live in yeah. a world, though, where label where concepts have largely lost their meaning, especially high political abstractions like capitalism or socialism. You know, you got Biden out there saying, I'm not a socialist. Boy, isn't it a joke? They're calling me a socialist. And right. And you've got Republicans out there saying, yeah, well, Donald Trump's capitalism. Absolutely. Donald Trump's, you know, protectionism and his you know, high spending and it's job owning the Fed. That's capitalism. So, yeah, they, these words are squishy. They've lost meaning. We live in a very, very mixed economy that's moving in the direction of government controls. And uh, that has to be identified. It is neither capitalism nor really socialism in America quite yet. Uh, and that has to be identified. It's not a question of dueling labels that people have emotional associations with, which is basically what it's come down to. And that treatment of capitalism makes Republicans actually the worst enemies of capitalism. They don't mm -hmm. know what capitalism is. You said it exactly correct. They don't know how to define it. They don't understand it. They don't understand its connection to individual rights. Uh, so no, they don't have the first clue on how to properly defend capitalism. And they don't want to uh, hear what it is until they've embraced selfishness as a virtue, as long as altruism is the moral uh, code that everybody uh, implicitly or explicitly endorses. Uh, capitalism is the symbol of selfishness. Symbols? Yes, the symbol and the system of selfishness and rightfully seen that way and it rejected for that reason, unfortunately. Until and unless capitalism can be defended on the profit motive because of the profit motive, you're damn right the profit mm -hmm. motive, it, we will continue in this direction.
that's all right. And uh, uh, Robin, the member, says, I don't know. The left also wants to destroy concepts with the woke stuff, but I guess woke is still being rejected more. Well, you're not wrong, but I will say this, and this is kind of, I think, addresses a lot of people. I'll say, son, if you don't see it, if you don't see what's wrong with what Republicans have been doing, if you don't see it as as uh, horrific as I see it, I can't. I'm not going to try and convince you and push it on you and say, if you don't see this, there's something wrong with you. It took me a long time to see it. You know, and then looking back, how was I not freaked out by Donald Trump since day one? You know, from day one, he was just talking nonsense, vilifying the other. Uh, he introduced himself to the political world um, by questioning where Obama was born. And there's a reason for that. It's not because he's that concerned about no. the because, by the way, you can be born in another country as you know, and if you're. One of your parents is American, as Obama's was. You you can still become president, as people like Ted Cruz and Romney Sr. knew, because they ran for president as foreign-born citizens. Um, so there's a reason Trump uh, used that issue, but also just generally. Uh, well, Rick, I'm proud to say that I opposed uh, Donald Trump from the minute he announced his candidacy in the Republican primaries back in twenty. What was it? Twenty fifteen. Uh, no, I could uh, for I did. Uh, he gave me the, a creepy feel uh, from from the outset. And then the minute he started opening his mouth, I knew that this guy was only going to take the Republican Party in a still worse direction than it was headed in. Yeah, I knew uh, as a younger, you know, as a younger pro-capitalism uh, student, you know, uh, loosely speaking, I, I knew he was not a capitalist. I knew Trump is is not that, but I didn't quite understand the 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 horror of what he was doing to the culture and kind of what he represents philosophically until much more recently. But, you know, today, again, I can't force anybody to see it. I'm not going to try and urge anybody to see it. Um, I'll just say, you know, keep your eyes open, keep thinking and pay attention. And uh, until until you see it, you know, you want to just let people like Ben Shapiro and the Daily Wire dangle the left in front of you telling you, oh, look how bad the left is and completely blind you to what's taking place. Um, you know, uh, let's see where where life takes us. Well, by the <laughs> way, right. you've been on a tear, Rucka, on Ben Shapiro. I absolutely think that it's disgusting the way many people on the right are embracing uh, or I should I say just yay, not Kanye, are embracing uh, the, uh, the yay uh, phenomenon. His despicable uh, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, which this isn't the first time he's stated, uh, and to have people on the right still sanction him and work with him, uh, I just want to congratulate you for your criticism uh, of those forces on the right, Rucka. I greatly admire your courage. You're saying Ben Shapiro is someone people shouldn't work with? or <laughs> Well, to the extent... I'm mm -hmm. going to be very serious here. Mm -hmm. So the Ben Shapiro does have, I used to follow Ben Shapiro very, you know, he's one of the, there are people on the left and right that I follow. Uh, and he was one of those on the right that I do did follow, but you're mm -hmm. absolutely right. Uh, yeah. Kanye and Candace Owens have presented him with something of, of a dilemma. He has to make a choice here. And I, I'm afraid to say, I suspect he's going, he's going to be making the wrong choice um, on that. Well, he's got, he's certain, you know, Ben's dilemma is, as I dubbed it, is a real thing. On one hand, he, he built this huge tent of anti-leftists. Uh, he's hired a bunch of people that, you know, they're not really married to capitalism. They're not even huge on the constitution and the founders. It turns out they really are about beating the left and right. community religious values. And Ben Shapiro, 
Um, he's been willing to build this giant tent to him. Candace Owens is this godsend, like I mentioned yesterday. Oh, she's she's you know, she's black and a woman, but hates the Democrats, hates the left. But it's like, OK, but she's also not really reliable if you're looking for somebody with to be thoughtful and careful. So they were they were uh, fighting over Twitter the other day on Sunday. Uh, Shapiro criticized Candace Owens for retweeting uh, somebody vis-a-vis, uh, you know, the Jewish topic and Kanye West and all of that. Uh, and then Candace angrily replied to Ben Shapiro saying, you know, you can call me up. You have my number. You don't have to scold me on Twitter. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Ben, be Ben's got a dilemma. He's got a dilemma because yeah. uh, he he sincerely doesn't want to see anti-Semitism rise on his watch. But uh, he needs to realize the more he gets in bed and into a tent with conspiracists and with emotionalist rabble rousers, uh, um, the more he, he's going to need to get used to anti-Semites because uh, history shows and contemporary times show the more people embrace conspiracies, reject capitalism, reject reason and reject individualism, the more the Jews seem to be the target of vitriol. Uh, as the, sadly, so typically in the history of Western civilization, they are the victims. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Both sides appear now to be perfectly happy to justify mm -hmm. racism tribal and violence on their own side you met you mentioned the the separation of church and state was an enormous achievement historically rand pointed that out as well you know you used to have protestants and catholics just tearing at each other in the streets and of course that that doesn't happen in america the jews for the first time in memory were had a place to move to america the first time any Whoever heard of a place the Jews can go to and not be persecuted? That, of course, was the United States. And, uh, you know, don't take that for granted, Ben. You want to, you know, align yourself with crazies and reject America's founding principles? Uh, you're not going to like what happens. We got a quick super chat, and then we really do need to wrap it up. Phil okay. with five pounds says, one wonders if a moron test should occur before being allowed to vote. Ha, 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 ha. Um, well, <laughs> you know, a democracy as such is not... is a value because it does give us, you know, a participation, consent of the governed and stuff, but it is not a magical legitimacy el elixir. The mere fact that a majority votes for something doesn't make it morally correct. Uh, mm -hmm. And so the, the democracy as a concept, as an unlimited value that you hear sometimes from both sides, uh, but especially on the left, is a concept we have to fight. We have to fight. Uh, for example, uh, felons should lose their right to vote, in my view, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but that's a discussion for another day. Yeah, a lot of very intellectual, smart people hold horrible ideas. Yes. And but also they would they would pass the test and be able to vote. So they would vote. In <laughs> right. horrible ideas. But but even those guys are a step in the right direction over people that simply don't think. Uh, so today, yeah. the way I see it, and I think I see Rand as impacting the way I think about it. It's like you got to respect the intellectual process itself, you know, and this is where philosophy who needs it comes in. You know, sh she was saying, I'm just trying to sell you philosophy as such, and I'm confident you'll, you'll choose mine. All right. Coming up in two minutes at 7 p.m. UK time, it's the Fountainhead Book Club with Shoshana Milgram for ARC UK members. And the session will also be live streamed for YouTube members. Link in the chat. Oh, what a good time to take your mind off of uh, all the chaos. Oh, and yeah. The shenanigans yeah. taking place. Listen to the brilliant Shoshana on the Fountainhead. Wow, what a great opportunity! And if you're not a member, become a member. Subscribe, yeah. and you'll get uh, you'll get chances to actually participate with and hear from amazing uh, speakers like Shoshana, who are, have taught the Fountainhead at the university level. And what a great distraction! You're right. Yeah, you All know, this. I made it. 
I made a rule for myself: no politics uh, after like evening time, basically, <laughs> or like um, even just even, even, even just uh, <laughs> philosophy in general. Like just reading philosophy to me, it's art. Art in the evenings. Art reading, we the living, reading the fountain. You know, reading novels or consuming fiction in on television. That to me, or listening to music. It's all about art and spiritual invigoration because if we if we stop consuming that stuff then uh then it's all oh, i out. i think i'm gonna take up your rule rucka that sounds like a good one for psychological self-care for right at the top of my list all right uh let me know how that goes all right thanks Hello. james uh we're out of time great conversation uh good luck i, I guess to everyone with the election <laughs> i don't know if i don't I want everyone to have bad luck, but I'm not sure who should have worse luck. <laughs> if we could have everyone have bad luck. <laughs> Thank yeah. you all, and uh, see Thank you tomorrow you. on The Daily Objective. Goodbye.